0: You're listening to the Belmar Church Sermon Podcast. For more information about Belmar or to see our upcoming events, visit belmarchurch.com. We're continuing our series Sunday Classics, and I appreciate Jason preaching for us last week. Uh, last week he talked about Samuel and how uh, uh, Hannah prayed for a son and God gave, it, gave uh, her a uh, son and Samuel, and she dedicated him to the Lord. He grew up in the temple under Eli, and uh, Jason talked about the contrast between Eli's children and and Samuel. And Samuel was the prophet of God. He was uh, the prophet in Israel at the time when the nation of Israel really began to uh, be, be discontented, and they wanted a king like the kings that ruled other nations around them. They looked around them, they saw what other nations had, and they said, we want to be like them. And so Samuel anointed Saul to be king over Israel. If you know that story, you know that Saul wasn't uh, a king that, was, that followed after God, and so God did not allow Saul's family to, can, to keep the kingdom, to, to remain as king. And so Samuel also anointed David to be the next king and so from the first king to the next king you had a change from one family to another one monarchy uh, one line to a to a different line a different family and so David was the second king of Israel he was a great king he was a warrior he followed after God he had many uh, victories but his family was kind of a mess One of his children, Absalom, tried to rule in his place, and he ended up uh, being killed. And then uh, another son, as David was nearing the end of his life, thought, well, I'll kind of set myself up, king. And so he began to to scheme and kind of gather power together, but that's not what God would have, and that's not what David wanted. And so at the very end of his life, David makes Solomon his son by Bathsheba to be king over Israel. And so we come to 1 Kings chapter 3 where Solomon is the new king of Israel. The third king. Now, the, 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 From the first king to the second king, there was a change in family, so he's really the first son of a king to be made king. And The kingdom is large, and it's powerful, and God has blessed his father David. And so we're going to look at 1 Kings chapter 3 beginning this morning in verse number 4. We're going to skip over the best part of 1 Kings 3. Uh, Maybe not the best part, but one of the most interesting parts. The end of, of chapter 3 is where we have the famous story where Uh, Solomon threatens to split the baby. Now, when I was a kid, that was one of my favorite Bible stories because it had all the elements, right? The threat of murder. Any story with swords is good, right? And I always pictured, like, this baby on a table, and the guy's like, and one of the moms is like, wait, no. And Solomon, it was this story that is used as the illustration of how wise of a king Solomon was. We're going to look this morning at the story that leads up to that. First Kings chapter 3, beginning in verse number 4, it says this. Now the king, talking about Solomon, went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place. Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar, at Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, "Ask what shall I give you?" So his brother, his half-brother, had already sort of done a similar thing. He had, he had gathered a group of people together and he'd made some sacrifices, but not Gibeon. He was trying to establish himself as king. David hears about it and David anoints Solomon and the leadership realizes that Solomon is who they need to follow. And so Solomon goes to this place where they would worship God and he offers 1,000 burnt offerings. Now, that seems incredible to us that, that you would have 1,000 animals that would be killed and that would be burned. It shows the importance of this moment. It also shows the size of the crowd that had probably gathered there because one of the things would have been that they would have, they would have eaten off of parts of these sacrifices. And so you have this moment and the crowd, were are told, will actually spend the night at this place and Solomon is there spending the night at this place and that night as he sleeps, he has a dream and God comes to him and says this, What can I do for you? What do you want? What can I give to you? And now I'd like to sing. No, I'm just kidding. I don't know what that was. I was ready to. My wife went white. She was like, no. It only sounds good in your head. Doesn't even sound that good in my head. What are we talking about? Solomon, right? Okay. God comes to him, and God says, ask of me, and I will give to you. Now, that's a big deal, right? I mean, that's a big deal. And it's a big deal because it's God. I mean, you know, if, if, you're, if you have a young child and your young child comes up and says, hey, you know, ask me anything and I'll give it to you. Okay, but you're, you're probably looking at, you know, a toy or something. It's dependent on who's giving the gift, right? But God says to Solomon, ask anything and I will give it to you. Solomon says this in verse six. You have shown great mercy to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in truth in righteousness and in uprightness of heart with you. You have continued this great kindness for him, and you have given him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. Now, O Lord, my God, you have made your servant king instead of my father David, but I am a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people, whom you have chosen a great people, too numerous to be numbered or counted. Therefore, give to your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of yours? We can tell that Solomon is a... uh, a politician, right? He's a political thing. God says, ask what shall I give you? And Solomon answers with like a whole paragraph. Well, here's the history and here's this. But really what he comes down to is he says, I need wisdom to judge your people. And God responds, 1 Kings 3 and verse 10, by saying the speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. And then God said to him, because you have asked this thing, have not asked long life for yourself, nor have asked riches for yourself, nor have asked the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern justice. Behold, I have done according to your words. See, I have given you a wise and understanding heart so that there has not been anyone like you, anyone like you before you, nor shall any like you arise after you. And I have also given you what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that there shall not be anyone like you among the kings all your days. So if you walk in my ways to keep my statutes and my commandments, as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. Then Solomon woke. And indeed, it had been a dream, and he came to Jerusalem and stood before the ark of the covenant of the Lord, offered up burnt offerings, offered peace offerings, and made a feast for all his servants. God said about Solomon, you could have asked For long life. You could have asked for a long and healthy life. You could have asked for great riches. You could have asked to be a mighty warrior. And and you could have asked for the life of your enemies. That you would have victory over your enemies. But what you asked was wisdom. You asked for understanding from me to know how to rule my people and and god said because you didn't ask for these other things that would have been maybe a more selfish ask i'm going to give you what you asked for wisdom and understanding but also i'm going to bless you with these other things as well and then in first kings chapter three we have the story of solomon and the two mothers who one of the babies died and he uh makes a statement that he's going to divide the other child to try to discern whose baby it is. If you haven't heard that story, I'd encourage you to read it. And then we get down to verse 28, and it just says this. All Israel heard of the judgment which the king had rendered, and they feared the king, for they saw that the wisdom of God was in him to administer justice. The wisdom of God was obvious to everyone who encountered or saw Solomon. They recognized that he had wisdom, this understanding heart. And so I want us to kind of see a couple of lessons this morning and make some applications to our lives. And the first thing is this. Our prayers need to always come from a place of humility. Now that may seem like a natural thing, that when you pray to God, you would do so with a humble heart. But I'm not sure that our attitude with God is always that. Now, we can pray anywhere at any time. God will hear us. But think about traditionally sort of how we pray. We often pray with our hands folded. We pray with our heads bowed, maybe on our knees. These are symbolic of humility before God. That when we come to him, we recognize that he is God and we're in need of of what he can do. We make requests of him. But I think if we're not careful sometimes, we can forget that. And our attitude towards God can be less than humble. We can think that maybe God owes us something or maybe that God isn't working in a timeline in which we would like to see him work. But Solomon, when he approaches God, notice what he says in 1 Kings 3, 7 and 8. He says, O Lord my God, You have made your servant king instead of my father David, but I am a little child. I don't know how to go out or to come in. Your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too too numerous to be numbered or counted. Now next week we're going to look at Solomon's son and the attitude that he had in coming to the throne and and the, the repercussions that that had to the kingdom. But Solomon was a prince all of his life. He grew up in the house of the king. His his dad was David the giant slayer. And he was Solomon his son. He was a prince. He had been in the palace. He knew how the kingdom operated. And yet when when he stands before God, he said, I'm a little child. I don't know what I'm doing. He was humble before God. James chapter four, verse number two says this about our prayers. Says you lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war. You do not have because you do not ask. James says, writing to the church here, he says listen, you're, you're in conflict, and you don't have because you don't ask. But then he says this, you ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. Verse 6 says, but he gives more grace, therefore he says, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Verse 10 says, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Isn't it interesting that in the same context that James says, you don't have because you don't ask, and when you do ask, you ask for your own pleasures, he then immediately goes into talking about the attitude of our heart and the need that we have for humility. What would happen if every prayer you ever prayed was answered? If every prayer you ever prayed was answered just the way you wanted it. I mean, my first thought is that'd be great, would it? I mean, people would be healed and, and there wouldn't be diseases. And I would be pretty rich, just so you know. but maybe it wouldn't be so great because the truth is God knows what we need a lot more than we do and oftentimes we ask out of our own desires our own lust not good desires but evil desires and when we come to God we've got to come to him with humility We've got to recognize that he is God. He knows. Not only that, but when we pray, we need to recognize that wisdom is one of God's greatest blessings to us. Proverbs chapter seven, excuse me, Proverbs chapter one, beginning of verse number seven says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. My son, hear the instruction of your father, and do not forsake the law of your mother, for they will be graceful ornaments on your head and chains about your neck. This idea of wisdom, and we've talked about this before, but wisdom is literally the skill of living. Living life well, And, and, and we're talking about godly wisdom. That God gives us wisdom to live a life that would be pleasing to him and to live life well. Now, I don't know your background this morning. I don't know what your family background is, but the truth is this. Most of us do a lot of things in reaction to the way that we grew up, either like it or the opposite of it. And, if, if, you, if you were in a home and, and there were good things that happened and those were blessings to you, then you may try to emulate that in your own life. If there were things that were negative and you say, I don't want that, then maybe you try to do the opposite thing. Whatever, whatever that is. Uh, you know, as, as I grew and got married, I found that there were things in my married relationship with my wife that I had seen in my mother and father and that I emulated. Sometimes on purpose, sometimes it just happened. When we had children, the same thing. You ever have kids and you start talking to them and all of a sudden it's like your parents coming out your mouth? You're like, I promised I'd never say that. But then this kid drove me crazy. Or maybe your childhood was was not good. And you were like, I'm never going to do it the way my, my parents did it. I'm going to do it the opposite. But the reality is this. None of us are perfect. None of us grew up in perfect homes. And we all need wisdom. We need skill in the way that we live our life. Even if you were given a lot of wisdom as a child. I was thinking about this this week um, In my own life, I've mentioned this before, but when I was 18 years old, my father died. And uh, I have a great relationship with my mother. I love her very much. Uh, But one of the things that I have been praying about lately is we have three children. And uh, we got Kinsey. She's still at home. and, And that's great. But I have two adult children. And I don't really, that's kind of a weird thing to say because Um, hopefully they're not going to see this, but I don't know how much I really think of them as adults. Just being honest, right? But they are. They are adults. Both of them have graduated from college. One of them's married. They're working jobs. They're living on their own. They are adults. It's hard for me to see that sometimes as a parent. And now I'm struggling and I'm thinking about what do I want my relationship to be with them? Because I want, they call and ask me for advice, but it's different. Before, I would just tell them what to do and I would expect them to do it. But now they hear my advice and then they want to make their own decision. Can you imagine the audacity of that? I'm not real happy about it. And I don't want to say the wrong thing. And I, 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 want, to, I want to have... Our relationship is changing. And I didn't experience that with my own father, and so I'm a little lost. So I pray because I need godly wisdom. I need to know what to say and how to say it. I don't want to harm the relationship with my children. I want to speak truth to them, but I also want them to know that I love them. And, and so I'm navigating new territory that I don't have any idea about. I don't. And I, I want to have great relationships with my children. I want them to want to come home at the holidays and hang out with dad. And I don't want them to roll their eyes and feel like, okay, you know, look at their spouse and say, got to go do time with our parents, but we're in and out as quick as we can. I don't want that. I want to, I want to love them and I want to have a relationship with them. And I need godly wisdom. So I have to pray for that. I have to seek God's face for that. And, and, and I don't, you know, you're like, well, give us all the answers, preacher. I don't have them all. Each time I have a conversation with them, I'm praying that God will just help me to say the right things, to do the right things, to still be their father, but our relationship is changing. And we encounter those things all the time. We encounter those things with our finances, with our relationships, with our careers, with our direction in life, all of these things. And how do we navigate them? How do we know what to do? We need godly wisdom. We need skill in living. So James says in James 1 and verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. But let not the man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. If we're going to ask for wisdom from God, we need to be focused on that. We need to recognize that he is the source of wisdom. But God promises to give it. Listen, that's good news. Because if you're here today and you say, well, you know, I'm a parent now with children, but my parents didn't do a great job. I don't know what I'm doing. Listen, God desires to give you wisdom. You're here and you say, you know, I'm struggling with my finances, how to, how to, to deal with my money, what to do, and, and my parents, they were bad with money too, and, and I just don't know what I'm going to do, and I've always been this way. Listen, God desires to give you wisdom. It doesn't matter what, what circumstance you're facing, God, Scripture says that God gives out his wisdom. The key is, we've got to receive it. That is the lesson that I'm learning as a parent of adult children is I know I am dispensing just gold of knowledge. These kids might not receive it. (laughs) They might look at me and go, that guy. Who knows? We can't do that with God. He desires to give us wisdom. We've got to receive it. So let's make a couple of applications this morning to this story. The first thing is like Solomon, we need to have a sober appraisal of ourselves. I think one of the most interesting things about this story is this. Solomon understood who he was and what his needs were. He said to God, I'm like a little child. I don't know, he uses this this phrase that's often used in scripture, I don't know how to go out or come in. That, That sounds odd to us, but we use phrases like that, right? I don't know if I'm coming or going. Man, I just, I don't know what I'm doing here. I'm sure he was excited about being king. I mean, if you're growing up as a prince, you want to be king, right? I mean, given a choice between being king and not being king, king's the way to go. But he says, man, I don't, I don't know what I'm doing. And I need your help. When we pray, we need to have a, an appraisal of ourselves that's correct. Romans 12 verses three and four says this, for I say through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function. And Paul goes on and talks about the body of Christ. But he says you shouldn't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but you need to think soberly, clear minded, accurately. I made a joke a moment ago when the music came on. But the truth is this I cannot sing. I like music, I like to sing. My wife was gone this week, and and so one of the things when my house is empty that I do that I don't do when she's home is sing in the shower because I'm courteous, and I know nobody wants to wake up to that, but when the house is empty, I let it go, man. I mean, it's 80s hits coming at you, and they are Tremendous. Till I forget the words, and then it's like baby, baby, you whatever. A lot of da 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 da. But I can't sing. My mom, she sang in the choir when I was a kid. My dad, he could sing. My brothers, they have some musical ability. I can't sing. My mom, when I was growing up in church, this church, we used to have children's choir. And for a while, my mom was in charge of that. And you know what my own mother said? She said, I thought every child could sing at least a little bit, and then I heard (laughs) Daryl. That's true. I managed to overcome it, I'm okay. Later, I was in high school and uh, I love sports. I played every sport I could play. I took PE all the time. And I remember my senior year of high school. I thought, you know, maybe, maybe I can't sing because I just haven't had the right instruction. And so, instead of taking one more PE class, I took choir. I took choir. And uh, I would go to choir, and and, and I would really listen, and I would try. And we were doing a choir concert. And, you know, in choir, you kind of, you know who the soloists are. I mean, they, they show themselves pretty quick. But we were doing this one choir piece, and it had just one line of a solo. And I thought, I can do that. And so I took the music home and and my mom played the piano for me and and I practiced. And I remember at one point she looked at me and she's hitting the notes and she's like, are you hearing this? I was like, yeah. Are you not hearing the beautiful music that's coming out? And I went and I tried out for that solo. And I'll never forget what the choir director said to me. He said, Daryl, thanks so much for trying out. He said, I would not want to put you in a position that might damage you for future performances. That was brilliant. There were no future performances, there wasn't that performance. I was, I mean, the choir performed that and a solo was sung, but not by me. I, I can't sing. So I usually sit where nobody's in front of me because then I can sing pretty loud and the speaker's right there and I don't want anybody to be distracted by how I worship. I always check my mic before I start to sing because... You just don't want that to happen. And I appreciate that Jason leads our worship every week and he preached for me last week, but I am not going to return the favor by leading worship for him. Okay, so I can't sing. But we've got to have a sober appreciation, a sober appraisal of who and what we are. Now, kind of you, Example of music, that's a joke, right? But how often do we think we are something or we think we're in a situation? But God gives grace to the humble. And Solomon recognized the situation that he was in and he prayed accordingly. And if we're going to come to God, We need to recognize who and what we are and our need for him. 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 8 says, but let us who are of the day be sober. Let us be sober. Let us think clearly. Let us see clearly. And then he says this, putting on the breastplate of faith and love and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. I, a couple of things about this passage that I think are so interesting. He, first, he says, be sober. Think clearly about yourself. Know what situation we're in. And then he immediately says, put on armor. Because the guy who thinks he doesn't need armor is the guy who finds himself wishing he had put it on. Says think sober, and then he says put on the breastplate. Protect your vital organs. Put on the helmet. Because we need God's protection. See how humility and soberness go together oh I fooled myself into thinking I could do a lot of things that I couldn't do that was one of my favorite tricks I remember when I was a kid we had a garage on the back side of the garage was a little shed had a flat roof and then it was separated from our house it was a it was a pretty good distance. I don't know how far it was, but I convinced my brother one time that he could jump that distance. At that age, it turns out he could not. And he had the broken arm to prove it. That was kind of, that was what was, those, those were the things that happened in my house. We would play those games all of the time. My brother's always telling me, I think you can pick that up. Okay, like, yeah, I can. It's a car. I can't. Whatever it was, I don't know. Oh, I think you can, you can jump that far. You can do this. We would do those things all of the time. Why? Because we were dumb. And we didn't have a sober appreciation of ourselves. And hopefully you grow past those childish things. But if you're not careful, you don't. And you still think, oh, I'm good. I'm good. But Solomon recognized the situation he was in. And then secondly, we need to worship and rely on the giver, not the gift. Solomon started out great. But the tragedy of Solomon was this. He was wise. He was understanding. God did bless him with riches and his kingdom. Scripture says that people would come just to marvel. at at the kingdom of Solomon, at his wealth and his riches, at the palace and the temple that he had built, at at his decrees and his his judgments. But we also see that Solomon began to rely on those things and less on the Lord. We see that because he followed, he, he began to reject some of the commandments of the Lord. He didn't keep himself in the way that God commanded him to. That's why Solomon would write in Ecclesiastes chapter two and verse four, I made my works great. I built myself houses and planted myself vineyards. I made myself gardens and orchards and I planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made myself water pools with which to water the growing trees of the grove. I acquired male and female servants and had servants born in my house. Yes, I had greater possessions of herds and flocks than all who were in Jerusalem before me. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the special treasures of kings and of the provinces. I acquired Male and female singers, the delights of the sons of men, and musical instruments of all, all kinds. So I became great and excelled more than all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me. Whatsoever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure, for my heart rejoiced in all my labor, and this was my reward. From all my labor. It's interesting what Solomon says here. He starts out by saying, "I planted vineyards. I'm going to guess Solomon didn't get his hands real dirty. He had vineyards planted. I built uh, He authorized the building, but he said, I did it whatever I wanted to do. I was rich. I had wisdom. And then he says, then I looked on all the works that my hands had done and on the labor in which I had toiled. And indeed all was vanity and grasping of the wind. There was no profit under the sun. Solomon wasn't fulfilled by his wealth and his riches, even by his wisdom. Because he began to look at the gifts and not the giver. Paul would talk about this in Romans chapter 1 and verse 18. He says, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them. For God has shown it to them. corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Notice what it says here. It says that God reveals himself through his creation. We've talked about this before, but you realize that the earth in which we live is a fallen sinful version of what God intended for us. But even in that, we see the majesty and the beauty of creation. And we have the privilege of living in Colorado, where it is is on display in in magnitude. I mean, we've all had that opportunity, right, to, to go to the mountains or to have a view and just see God at work. See the mountains and the canyons. See the animals that God has created and the beauty that is around us. And yet we see how mankind can look at that. And even as they look at the creation of God, they ignore the God who created it. And Paul goes on and says this. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanliness in the lust of their heart to dishonor their body amongst themselves who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who was blessed forever. They believed a lie because they they worshiped the, crea- the creation, not the one who created it. Solomon relied on the gifts that God had given to him And he quit looking at the giver of those gifts. We constantly need God's wisdom. But if we're not careful, we can pray and ask God's blessing, and God can give it, and then we can go, Well, I'm glad I got this all figured out. What? It's not you, it's Him. I mean, we can see God's face and we can desperately ask him for something. And then when he blesses us, we go, oh, I'm glad I was able to accomplish that. And we lose sight of the giver of gifts, the creator of the creation. So we need to worship and rely on God, not on the gifts that he gives. James says in James 1.17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with, with whom there is no v- variation or shadow of turning. Listen, I want us to learn from Solomon today to recognize that, that we need to humbly pray to God and, and ask him for wisdom. We need to have a sober appraisal of who we are and where we're at and the things that we need. And God promises to give us wisdom, but as he does, we need to continue to keep our eyes on him because the worst thing we can do is begin to think that we've got it together, that we've done something or that we've accomplished something. We need to keep our attention on the giver of the gifts, not the gifts. Let's pray this morning. Our gracious God, Lord, we thank you for this day. God, I thank Solomon, this man that was so blessed, who you gave great understanding and wisdom to, one who you gave great blessings and riches to, He serves as an example to us of both how we need to live, but also of warnings of what can happen when we take our eyes off of you. God, I pray that we would be a people who cry out to you for your wisdom and your understanding. And God, I pray that we would be a people who continue to walk in our need for you recognizing that without you, we can do nothing. But God, in you, we have all that we need. We love you, Lord. We thank you for your goodness to us today. In Christ Jesus' name we pray, amen.